Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Mike Holden. Mike, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Mike Holden. Mike, thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure to be here. So Mike, I came across Fox Punter and had a had a look around and uh, it was quite interesting. There's some things that certainly aren't uh, common when talking about sports betting and sports markets and and also applying different elements uh, to sports and we'll get into some of those shortly but before we do can you just give us a brief background I know many people will be aware of of your past and and history in this space as a journalist and and a few other things you've been doing but for those that aren't aware just tell us uh, about your history in this space. Uh, yeah, well, I've been a journalist by trade since the mid two thousands. Graduated from university in two thousand and five. At which stage I was working for Sporting Life. In those days, there wasn't many tipsters around, and I was a, a you know a tipster for them at that time, covering the football league, the English, the, the lower leagues in England. Um, and I basically, just you know, best part of a decade, I've worked for the Racing Post. Odds checker, do a lot of features for 442 magazine, things like that. Um, I used to always, it's always been a lot of profiling of teams, of managers, um, and, you know, pull out guides, those kinds of things, but mostly preview content. So journalism's been my background for, for, for most of that time. Uh, and it's been quite good because I've always been, for the most part, I've been profitable with my football betting. So I tend to, I kind of marry the two together. I do a lot of research on the football. The, the research, I always try to make it research that's towards my betting in any case. I'm learning new things all the time. Um, and then, you know, all being well most years, you like to sort of cream a little bit of top, off the top of your betting bank and go on holiday and take a bit of downtime. Um, so that's the way it's always been. I found it a lot more difficult in recent years. Kind of reached a point now where it's getting, you know, becoming more and more difficult, the betting with the, you know, the the data-driven world that we live in and all the computer algorithms out there and analysis of performance data. So it's been harder and harder, to, I feel, to make a profit in the last few years, although I did do very well out of the early beginnings of my rating system about five or six years ago, just, you know, just slightly bit behind the curve possibly on that, but um, I did well, and then I've kind of stagnated now for a few years, and make you know fi- trying to find new ways to f- find an edge. Um, and likewise with the journalism, I think it's it's got more and more difficult now. You're having to produce more and more content just to get to where you might have been a few years ago. You know, people are kind of wanting more and more out of you for less. So I've kind of 
I've left for the most part left the journalism behind now because it, it just wasn't becoming feasible. Um, and threw all my energy into into the Fox Punter service and the Fox Punter website. Um, so the last few years have been a bit a big learning curve from a, a business perspective. You know, building up a business. I've always had you know quite a an entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose, but. In terms of business, I've been quite naive. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I feel like a lot of them are behind me now. So, so yeah, it's been an interesting few years, but but ultimately the objective for me is just to keep learning new things that outside of the football world, but applying them to football betting and, you know, just that constant cycle of learning and development, really. So what did you study? I think it's a good precursor to some of the things we're going to discuss a little bit later on or pretty shortly here. Yeah, well, I've always been interested in, like, like I talk about profiling, I've always profiled to some extent um, teams, but particularly managers and their personalities. Um, and I've always been interested in the psychology side of things. And um, part of that is the Myers-Briggs typology system um, that I kind of i have known about for five or six years at least. Um, but more recently, in the last couple of years, I've kind of broken through to the cognitive function level because... A lot of people will probably be familiar with Myers-Briggs as, as, you know, the preferences, the four-letter codes you get to define a personality type. And it's quite vague, to be honest, at that level. But, you know, I, I, I came into it and thought, yeah, there's something in this. This is interesting. It's a, a, an easy way to categorize people and personalities and, and understand how we differ from each other. But in the last 18 months or so, I've studied it a bit deeper and got through to the cognitive function level. And... Been the last twelve months. I've been on intensive courses with a, you know a company in America. I've been over to America twice and done some intens- intensive training days over there in in Los Angeles and DC. Um, and it's just blown me away. I just cannot believe that this information out is out there and it's so niche. I mean, you know, it's it's quite nuanced, but it's it's basically given me a framework from which to work. Uh, what I've always done in t- trying to understand managers and their leadership styles and the cultures they try to create at the clubs that they manage, this has given me a framework now to follow to really understand. And I think it's one of those systems that once you understand it, you you can't go deep enough. You know, you, you, ne- you never, it, it's so robust and so intuitive that it feels like you're never going to reach a point where it doesn't tell you a story anymore. So it, that, that's, that's been a real sort of, I've just really enjoyed being, throwing myself into that for the past 12, 18 months. I want to get into that in more detail, but before we do, can I go back a decade ago and, and talk a little bit about betting lower league football back then and, and how it was for you? Can you just give me, a, a, I guess, an insight into looking back what you think made you successful at or what you were able to do to ensure you're profitable because i'm guessing in 2006 7 8 9 things are pretty different from a quantitative modeling perspective as well as the betting markets themselves and there is i guess a different approach that's possible back then to win versus potentially now yeah i would say the big difference was you know i talk about art and science and and it's so data driven now it feels like we're in an era of science and is dominating the marketplace whereas i think back then you know the bookmakers had charts that they followed to price games up and games all fell into a category and and you disagreed on you know what ballpark that particular game was in and there was a lot more low hanging fruit i would say um 
And yeah, I, also as well, the game itself was was entirely different. I mean, I only bet on football. I've only ever bet on football. And the game itself was different in, I mean, we've been on a path for, say, 20 odd years now of the game, the, the inequality gap getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time to the point now where, you know, the, what people are saying about Manchester City after winning the, the three domestic trophies in England. But, you know, the, even in the last 10 years, the difference is quite stark and at all levels as well, not just Premier League level, you go further down the leagues and there's almost, you know, you go down into League One and invariably most years now, there's a gulf between the teams at the top of the table, the teams in the middle of the table and the teams at the bottom. And that never used to be so much the case. There was, I mean, I'm talking intuitively here, I've got no numbers to back it up, but, I, you know, it, it felt like there was more underdog winners and more more predictable underdog winners. I think nowadays it almost feels like when when underdogs land, it's almost the favourites done something wrong because they shouldn't be messing up, you know, in in a lot more cases. Um, and yeah, just I always think myself as a punter, my, I think my biggest skill probably is when all else is equal and there's very little between two teams in terms of quality. By having studied managers and their styles and understood the nuances of each team, knowing whether the circumstances in that particular day is good for one team or the other, you know, the, however they've built up, you know, there's all manner of theories that you can apply to this after the Lord Mayor's show. You know, some teams are particularly vulnerable after a big win the week before, and you kind of sense that the manager's not the sort of manager that's going to crack the whip. And, and really get on top of his players because, you know, um, not aware that, that they could be vulnerable in the next game because resting on the laurels or whatever it might be. And, you know, the, the, there's so many different theories like that that you can apply in a in an intuitive sort of way. And I think things like that, have, have, it's just changed a little bit because you can you can see examples of games where, in the past, things like that might have applied, but now the, the you know the favourites just too good, or you know they'll they'll, they'll be there's a lot more individuality perhaps you know if teams got one or two particularly good players that can make a difference despite the circumstances and despite the conditions of the day, um, and you know basically there's, there's just a lot less low hanging fruit in terms of prices. Do you get a sense that? the underlying ratings of those teams and the profiles of those teams are critical to be able to add that layer of intuition? Or are you talking about doing this solely from an intuition perspective or, or largely from an intuition perspective? No, I think I, I feel like I've probably done quite a bit of damage in recent years when I've tried to be too intuitive and not had the under, I think nowadays you need to have those underlying numbers as your, your basis, you, you, you know, your, um, your bedrock of your, your whatever your betting philosophy is, and that that's something I've worked on very hard in the last few years. In, in, in recent years, because I, I mean, going back about five or six years now, I developed an early rating system because I was fascinated by, I was fascinated by all the, um, you know, the blogs from the analytics community and stuff like that, and they were coming up with all these ideas and and bringing expected goals to the surface that, you know, anybody could go and read these blogs and find out about the, you know, how to build an expected goals model and things like that. And so I, I developed my own rating system in about 2012 and it did very well on its own 
for you know six months nine months I did I did quite well out of it and and it's kind of you know it's it's plateaued since then and it's probably more of a break-even model now um but you know still useful as a break-even model because it gives me a starting point to then add that layer of intuition or nuance on you know on top of what what it spits out to me out on any given weekend might be around 40 matches where my performance data against the market is, you know, it, there's a discrepancy there. And then it's kind of just a yes or no call for me. Um, and that that's that's the way I've gone with it in recent years. But what, what I found did happen until I discovered the typology and the, the you know, the personality profile and it kind of got back to my source and what I really enjoyed doing. I was kind of hurting a little bit, I feel like I was focusing too much on the numbers side when, you know, I'm just not up to the same level of models that are out there and people that are, you know, coming out of university uh, out of university with quant degrees and things like that. I'm just nowhere near that level. It was just something that really interested me and gives me, you know, kind of just stabilizes the way I go with things and, and, and sort of keeps me on the right track. Um, so I've probably, I feel like I've probably focused a little bit too much on the data myself in recent years, but now certainly feels like the time to be, to be going back to more. Now I've refined my process over a number of years. It feels like now's the time to be spending and investing more in the, the psychology side and things like that. So one more backward looking question before we get into the psychology and some of the type indicator stuff that you've already touched on. How do you think the journalism has helped or hindered your approach? And certainly looking forward, do you think that, you know, people talk about the 10,000 hours putting in different areas. Do you think the time you've spent in journalism has helped you develop what you're doing now or will have benefits for you with what you're doing now? I think as a researcher, most definitely. Um, I mean, understanding of the media, I suppose, as well. I mean, it's a numbers game nowadays, you know, so the stories are dictated by how many clicks or whatever it might be. So I've developed, I mean, I think a lot of people are quite savvy in this area nowadays, certainly millennials are, um, of knowing the underlying agenda behind an article or just understanding that a lot of articles nowadays are for numbers and that, that sets the tone of, of what you read on online. So um, I'd certainly say I've got a decent enough understanding of that because I've been on the other side of the fence and the realities of, you know, I've been pitching articles to websites and you know certain media outlets for and finding it really difficult to get commissioned on a lot of articles because the scene is too niche and they go too too deep into a subject and they don't necessarily cover the right clubs if it's not Manchester United or Liverpool or Arsenal or whoever it might be then you know it's hard to get articles commissioned and and to to really you know search not get paid the amounts that you'd expect for the amount of research that goes into an in-depth piece. So um, that's that's kind of why I've drifted away from it. But in terms of research, the type of journalism I used to do, those, those research skills and whatever methods you might pick up along the way to, you know, leave no stone unturned and make sure that you've got your bases covered and you, you, you go about things in a balanced way. I'd say that definitely helps me as a punter, yeah. You referenced the art and the science, and mm -hmm. I think we're going to spend a lot of time on the art uh, in this discussion. But before we do, just touch on the science for me. I read something you put out recently, and I'm going to quote here. I hope I get this right. I might be paraphrasing, but 
the quest for profits through quantitative analysis is nothing but an arms race. Just take us through that and the thought process on this aspect of the quant analysis and also obviously the science with it. In, in recent years, it just has felt like an arms race. Like I say, I had a model that was was profitable and and did nicely for only a short period of time, but you know you you can kind of trace back now and see how it's gone in the last uh, five or six years or however long it might be. That I probably did have an edge at that point, um, but it gets more and more. It, it just feels like that in it's kind of leveled off, I suppose, in the last year or two. But there was a period for about three or four years where it was get it was getting more and more difficult to anticipate what you know prices teams were going to go off at and now it's a it's a bit easier it, it seems like a lot of models have caught up with each other but you know it was it just seemed to be for a period that it was getting more and more sophisticated um like i say it's not something that i've measured um and could put numbers to and and explain in a in an objective way, it was just a subjective impression that I had myself that there was times for for a few years where I was really surprised by prices, you know, uh, at kickoff time. And it, it happens less and less now. But if you're not, there's so many people coming out of university or whatever it might be and, and, and going into betting and going into performance analysis with clubs. I mean, people are working for football clubs for free. They've got a a degree there that was, you know, years ago, they could have commanded almost any job in, in any field. And now they're willing to work for football clubs for free. So that's the level of intelligence you're up against. If, if, if that's the road you want to go down and, you know, it, it's just dawned on me more and more down the years that I need to just refine my process as a, as a bedrock for my whole philosophy and, and just get it to a place where I can trust it's not going to let me down rather than it's going to actually, the, the system itself is going to make me money. And then hopefully the, the, the you know the intuition side will will take care of the rest. Yeah, I think you know talking to a fair few people now, it seems like if you go back a decade or longer ago, the approach was largely intuition or almost solely intuition for the the vast majority. And then as the pendulum is swinging towards the quant analysis side, uh, it is what you mentioned, or at least directionally uh, correct to say that it's an arms race. And I think as people realize that and the you know the top tier become further further apart from those in the middle tier those who are looking at trying to find an edge in the markets now seem to be heading towards the art side and the intuition side and then finding different angles that they can apply to try and cope with how things are shifting so it, it seems to me anyway that the spectrum might be at a point where it's shifting back to those who can find an angle and an edge uh, using these different areas might have an advantage so with that said do you want to just briefly, before we dig into this in more detail, just give those who might not understand what the Myers-Briggs type indicator test is or system is and, and what it or how it applies uh, in a practical sense? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if we're going to start with the history, I suppose, it was something that Isabel Myers and Catherine Briggs in the Second World War in America came up with a system that built on Jungian psychology's cognitive functions that basically allocated jobs to women that were, you know, the, the, a lot of the men went off in the war and then the women that were left behind had to be, had to carry on the roles in the, you know, the community and, and what jobs they were allocated depended on their personality type. So that was it. That was the starting point of the, the Myers-Briggs typology system as we know it today. And it's pretty much stayed unchanged for the past, you know, 80, 90 years now. 
So, you know, that, that, that's how robust it is as a, as a model because no one's, you know, people try to dilute it to make it more accessible because it is fairly nuanced and it does require a level of intuition itself to try and unpack, you know, to understand the system, then unpack it and be able to apply it yourself rather than kind of just follow paperwork or, you know, whatever you might follow to tell you things. Um, so, you know, in, it, it's largely used in the corporate world nowadays, I think. And I also think it, it's probably used more in Australia and, and the States than it is in the UK. You know, I speak to a lot of people in the UK who've just had no dealings with it whatsoever. But it seems to be used quite a bit in the corporate world, maybe middle management level, certainly in terms of recruitment. And, you know, bigger companies will use it to try and recruit, recruit the, the right personality for the, 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 you know, the, the people they'll be managing, whether it, you know, it's executive level or middle management level. Um, and basically, you know, like I say, it's been diluted in, in recent times to the point where people understand it now as four preferences. You know, you're either an introvert or an extrovert. You're either sensing or intuitive. You're either thinking or feeling. You're either judger or perceiver. But for me, you can only go so far at that level and then it, it starts to it doesn't stack up sometimes in trying to explain a lot of things but when you go down it's the middle two letters of the four letter codes that are, that are the real sort of meat in the sandwich the the two letters at the end are just a kind of like a decoder ring for everything all the meat that's in the middle and it's those two functions the way that we learn and the way that we make decisions there's four styles of learning and four styles of decision making, and you can combine any with any. It's just the fact that you, if your learning style is a, an extroverted learning style, then your decision making style will be introverted, and vice versa. Um, so that's that's I, you know I'm producing I've produced an ebook that applies this to football managers. It's a free ebook, and it's basically explains those those four different cognitive functions for learning styles and the four different co uh, cognitive functions for decision-making styles. And from there, you can pretty much answer anything. You know, it's, it's easy to see with the right examples in a football context how, how to differentiate between certain managers. And the more you get to understand the system and through exposure, the more you can begin to explain and categorize behavior. And, and behavior just being, you know, it's we're talking about the actual mental wiring that people, you know, the criteria that people use inside their own minds to, to either take on board new information or what to do with it. But the behavior generally manifests from whatever the, the, the wiring is. You know, it's, sometimes you see behavior and it doesn't necessarily say that this is how this person is wired, but m more often than not, it will do. So do you mind just running us through a, a generally or an example even of how this provides value for you or how it's useful from, you know, obviously we've discussed the, the questionnaire itself through to the application more in a practical sense. Let's say, you know, evaluating a manager all the way through to placing a bet. If you don't mind just running us through that sort of uh, that stream. What well, I mean, a good, a good example potentially is with the difference between sensing and intuition. We, there's two different types of sensing, introverted sensing and extroverted sensing. We'll take Maurizio Pochettino, the Tottenham manager, for example, uses introverted sensing as his learning style. And this is about concrete, real-world sort of perceptions. Uh, it's a very 
it's a very measured learning style in that um, basically a manager that uses introverted sensing will, will, will see things in the moment, but will then want to go back and clarify it and almost study that information twice, once in real time, and then, and then go back and see if the, the initial observations, you know, get them sort of uh, verified or, you know, they, they, they value reliable concrete information. Whereas intuitives tend to pattern recognize and like to see what's behind the curtain, even if you can't in real world experience with it, they'll try to guess, um, you know, make leaps based on the information that's available, then try to future pace and make guesses about, you know, the way things might develop and, and how to take advantage of the way things might develop rather than the way things actually are. Now, Maurizio Pochettino is very good at building blocks, you know, uh, uh, building one season on top of another. It's a, it's a process of constant reinforcement of his philosophy, of always sticking to the same plan. It's about like a slight edge mentality of, of creating good habits and the more, you know, consistent actions over time eventually create a compound effect. And we've now reached a point after several years where you know Tottenham find themselves in the Champions League final. They've not had a particularly great season in the Premier League, but you could say that there's been better Tottenham teams that have been less rewarded in the past in terms of the season that they've had. So there's a level of progress there with Tottenham based on that. But in, say, big one-off matches, you get Tottenham against the team with the manager as an intuitive, and there's so so... The margins are so fine between those two. You know, I'm thinking ahead now to Champions League final even... Jurgen Klopp's an intuitive. Now, if it comes down to a tactical battle on the day, I don't, you know, there's not much evidence there in the past of Maurizio Pochettino outthinking his direct opponent in a tactical sense because he's more about infrastructure. He's more about, um, the, you know, the daily habits he creates at the environment, at the training ground and, you know, just constant reinforcement and improvement over time. Whereas... Jurgen Klopp is not—he's not an intuitive driver, but he, he, his intuition is a strength. And if it was, you know, if it comes down to substitutions or anything like that on the tactical side, a tweak of formation, I'd be more inclined to back Klopp in that scenario than I would be inclined to back Pochettino. I think Pochettino has repeatedly, certainly at the beginning, Tottenham have struggled in big matches for a long time, and it's taken them a long time to kind of break through that mental barrier of beating the bigger teams and winning the big matches. And I think with introverted sensing, it'll get there eventually. Uh, whereas intuitions a bit more boom or bust, you know, will take the risks that are needed to be taken in the short term for potential long term, you know, uh, for immediate gains, but w without much, um, you know, less, there's less fear from an ide ideological standpoint. So uh, that's one way you could potentially explain, you know, the, the Champions League final with Pochettino and Klopp. So it sounds like to me, and certainly not being at all an expert in this space, that this analysis or application, there's no better example or there's no best. There's no, you know, constant reinforcement versus making leaps based on the information that's available. There's no better alternative necessarily. It's all relevant in the contextual circumstances of that game or those games that are coming up for example yeah absolutely yeah there's no and that's one of the beauties of football because i think in certain professions certain types gravitate towards 
certain professions. You know, you, you'll get a lot of pilots and surgeons and mechanics and things like that will be ISTP personality types. And, you know, that means they use sensation, real world in the moment, learning style with introverted thinking, which is a very precise way of making decisions. It's like everything's stored internally. You don't have to do any working out of what you what your next move is. And you combine them two functions together and you get people that are very good in the moment working with instruments and, you know, ready to adapt at any moment if something goes wrong and know what the next move is because it's, you know, the, the, the frameworks that are inside the mind, the way that they operate is, is like, so it draws certain types. Whereas with football, no, there's no, there's, you know, I've, I've been profiling, passively profiling football managers over the past six to 12 months now. And, you know, you can, you can, this, this one of every type somewhere. And um, what I would say is in this day and age, it seems there's a, you talk about learning styles, sensing and intuition. There's a supposedly a 75-25 split. 75% of Western society is is meant to be sensors and only 25% intuitives. But what I've from my study so far and profiling most of the English Football League managers, I think it's more like 50-50, and it's probably a product of the times that we're in, the inequality, the financial gap that people have got to overstretch and do something remarkable to try and punch above the weight and it's presumably it's intuitives that are selling themselves better in interviews and selling that vision of you know being able to think outside the box or do something differently to to kind of punch above your weight financially in terms of process can you have a process for intuitive decision making like you can with a model for example can you well your process is what leads to your decisions? They're kind of two completely separate things. Your process, I always see, is you know your learning style, um, and it's. It, I guess it's just a matter of philosophy that if you, you know, if you take care of your process well enough, then results will take care of themselves. Somebody who leads with a pro, a, a learning style, as their their main function, will think along those lines. Whereas somebody who leads with a decision making function as their number one, you know, their their drive a process their flow state then they will basically are more inclined to see that the end justifies the means so it doesn't really matter how you get there it's the result that matters and i think the, the important thing is that no matter what you're there's no right or wrong way to do anything it's just a matter of honoring your functions and whatever you however you're naturally wired honor it and be you know be be who you're supposed to be. Don't try to be a replica of somebody else. I think that's I think that's a main that's a main focus for me when I'm judging football managers is are they being themselves? And sometimes you can begin to see the pressure start to tell when they start behaving in ways that are not what is the norm for them. So it's, you know, there's there's so many different ways to build a football team and to win a football match. But if you know managers' particular personality types, you know when they're being true to themselves. And generally speaking, all managers, even if they're true to themselves, will make mistakes. But then mistakes will more be more inclined to get out of hand and, and, and snowball further down the line if the, if the you know because the pressures get into them. Yeah, and just to dig into that a little bit and uh, give by way of an example, a lot of people talk about rest versus rust in uh, in certainly U.S. sports, and it might be an NFL game where it's a Monday night game or a Thursday night game, and there's a shorter period of time between the next game versus the opponent. 
in those instances, someone can say, well, they've had a bigger bigger gap, therefore more rest, therefore they're more likely to perform better. Um, and that's obviously the, the rest component. But then at the same time, well, they haven't played for nine days, therefore they might be a bit rusty when they come out. Therefore, you know, they might start a bit slower and that's disadvantageous. In terms of this overall intuitive de- decision-making and thinking, mm-hmm. how do you balance potentially when there's different outcomes uh, when you're going through your process? Yeah, again, I would imagine, in, I mean, it's a similar scenarios in, in football in terms of quick turnarounds. I, for, for example, one early, it's an early hypothesis at this stage, but I tend to believe that one of the decision-making, one of the four decision-making styles is extroverted thinking, and this is about getting things done, putting plans into action quickly, logistics. And and I think this is a very much a, a process that's good for quick turnarounds, um, getting a team prepared. You know, if there's only four days in which to turn around from one game to the next, then generally speaking, extroverted thinking, somebody who leads with that process would be less dragged out of their comfort zone to manage that. They'd manage that quite easily and it wouldn't really ruffle them at all. You know, in in terms of that, whereas introverted feeling, for example, as its polar opposite, um, you know, if there's any emotion carrying over from that from from that last game, then potentially it's a lot harder for a manager who leads with intro, introverted feeling to process those emotions and then get back to right. Let's prepare for the next game. So it, it, it's kind of you take each one on its own merits, and and you know, there's also levels that. A team reflects the manager's personality as well. You know, if a if a manager's only been in a job for six weeks, then you wouldn't expect his team to reflect him as a you know uh, and his values. And you know, whereas if a, a manager's been in position for three four years, then by that stage, you know, you look at Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool and Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. Now you are seeing their personality on the pitch. You know, one hundred percent that they've influenced every decision along the way, and we're so far down the line now that you're seeing their personality manifest on the pitch. So there's there's still so much to consider. It just gives you, you know, like I say, it's a framework, and it gives you so much more where you can where whether the the, the rest or rust principle is is kind of an either or question. It's a question that you can now look at. Um, in so many different ways, but it's still tethered to a, a, a formula and a model as opposed to just, you know, it's anyone's guess. You can argue this for this side and you can argue that for that side. There's actually a model that you can take this in so many different ways now and understand with, a, you know, a lot more clarity. When looking at the outcomes and I guess the results of, of this, how do you go about analysing, I guess, the accuracy of the application of some of this thinking? Have you found a way where you can essentially have a spreadsheet that, that details all the different uh, application of this type of thing. And then through that, you can say that if I was, you know, 55% correct, uh, let's say based on a break-even rating system, if that additional layer gets me above the threshold to break even with my sports betting, is that how you think about it? Or what's the best way to, to analyze what exactly you're implementing here? Yeah, uh, you've pretty much explained next season for me. <laughs> that's that's going to be the big next step now is trying to quantify early hypotheses and try to to put something a bit more concrete to what I'm doing and what you know what 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 these early intuitions are uh, and beginning to see what are believer patterns in certain aspects, you know, like quick turnarounds or whatever it might be. Uh, but 
it's all unfounded at this stage. You know, I, I need to go away. I need to I need to record this stuff. Uh, I can do some regression analysis. So what one of the my big project for the summer? Thankfully, it's not a World Cup year um, or a, a you know a big tournament year. So. I've got a big block of time now to go and, and study the managers. I've got a good impression about a lot of them, but I'm going to try and profile all 92 managers over the summer, get the types nailed down, and then start working with a bit of regression analysis on some of these ideas and some of you know some of the some of the intuitive things that certain functions lend themselves to certain outcomes. Then start putting them into practice on on old data and then seeing how they perform, you know, going forward as well. This obviously has a real-time aspect to it. You're watching a game. It goes for, you know, an hour and a half, and there's different things you can monitor during the game and potentially make decisions versus potentially having a hypothesis that you can maybe even test, for example, and see if it is useful or valuable. How much of it is during a game, watching a game and and analyzing in real-time versus everything else that might happen pre-match or, you know, in the off-season, for example? Um, well, I think I think this is probably where we're getting into the, the the personality type of the individual. One of the one of the things I've learned about myself is that you know I, I lead with introverted intuition as my learning style, and I've always thought that that lends itself to successful betting. But what it doesn't lend itself to is it, it basically you've got introverted intuition and extroverted intu- intuition. Introverted intuition is about depth of insight. It's about going down deep into a subject. But what it isn't is what extroverted intuition is, the speed of insight and that ability to quickly notice things um, is, you know, and, and quickly act upon things uh, is extroverted intuition. And I'm, for me personally, I believe that extroverted intuition is, you know, the, the caricature that we have of a pro- professional gambler is more suited to extroverted intuition than introverted intuition. Um, I think introverted intuition probably has to create tools and, 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 you know, things to help it along the way. You know, like like you talk about spreadsheets, I'd, I'd feel like I'd have to have something tell me. Whereas in real time, someone who uses, ex, well, extroverted intuition along with the decision-making style of introverted thinking, those two, for me, uh, are the, the ideal functions for for being a professional gambler and, and what we come to know as you know being able to to turn over a lot of bets and and, and consistently make a profit over time, so you know it, it depends it depends on your own functions. Um, it, everybody's got different skills depending on what the functions are. You know, it, I I can't particularly watch a game of football and you know I, I find myself drifting off. I can't I find it really difficult to pay attention i just have a, a, a sixth sense to know that when drama's coming and when to really pay attention because it, you know there's a there's a the game's getting to a certain point now where something interesting will happen or you you sense a difference in the atmosphere but in terms of sitting down for 90 minutes and watching the telly and seeing the de- the tactical details and things like that that tends to pass me by because it's just not what my function's about and i think learning the different functions and, and knowing what your strengths are and and you know what you play into your own strengths basically is is the way forward for for something like that so it can go in so many different directions and it and it kind of depends on the individual type yeah that's fascinating i wanted to to talk a little bit about that and i guess now is the perfect time certainly in your words the cognitive function stack for a good sports better let's say 
it sounds like it can be a varying array of things and also just the way and the nature of sports betting you obviously need to have the handicapping and analysis side and even the intuitive component and then also the the discipline and the betting markets approach and then placing your bets and managing your bankroll so in terms of the certainly Myers-Briggs from that angle uh, is it fair to say that anyone can have different strengths in different aspects and it's just a matter of really digging in to understand how you do things and what you are good at and then trying to utilize those strengths and then cover off the weaknesses yeah absolutely yeah that's that i couldn't put it better it's just you've got it's a, it, learn what your functions are and then you know there's no manuals out there as such to tell you what you know if you're extroverted sensing for example you know there's nothing there out there to tell you directly in betting terms it's you almost have to kind of work it out for yourself but there's lots of layers and nuance to there's lots of materials out there that will explain what extroverted sensing is the problem like i say is that a lot of myers-briggs stuff is diluted into these four letter types and just give you a very generic description of what your four letter type code will be but yeah there's ways and means to apply everything you know people use um, introverted sensing, for example, are more likely to be the type of people that would follow tipsters rather than do the pattern recognizing themselves. They'd go off um, P&L records over sustained periods of time. They'd know how to analyze tipsters against each other based on the, the, the numbers and the records, but wouldn't necessarily be overly active themselves. I wouldn't imagine. Again, this is, you know, kind of future pacing to theories I've not put to the test yet, but um i would say i would say predominantly most in betting circles a lot of the people i've met uh it's probably the biggest congestion of intuitives in all areas of my life i found you know going back to the betfair forum days in the early 2000s i met a lot of people through the the, you know the betfair message boards um and uh, i think of all of those people now and they're nearly all intuitives and intuition is one of those things that people who have intuition There's a a thing known as intuitive blending. And people who are intuitives tend to blend in with senses and behave in sensor ways and don't have a lot of outlet for their, you know, to let their intuition loose. But betting is definitely an arena where you can do that with full freedom. And you, you know, you've probably seen in some circles as the smartest guys in the room when you when you apply that kind of probability type thinking and pattern recognition to analysing football and people want to know what the punters think. So it's it's definitely an arena for for that's that's heavy on on intuitives compared to other fields. Um but each individual function differs, like I say, for me. I because I'm an intuitive, I always thought that I had a particular talent that I could turn pro and I could potentially do these things. But then now, you know, is it that that Niebuhr quote about um you know, the serenity to know the things you can't change, you know, accept what you can't change, change what you can and, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's that kind of thinking. And I realize that my introverted intuition is going to hamper me in so many ways. So now what ways can I compensate for that or just accept, you know, that I am never going to necessarily turn over the amount of bets. And, you know, I always think back to, We'll take it to decision-making processes and introverted thinking and extroverted thinking. Because I lead with introverted intuition, my decision-making style is extroverted, extroverted thinking, which is logical and rational rather than based on emotion. So that sounds like it should be, you know, an ideal 
decision making function for betting. But I always remember, you know, people used to play the games, uh, pricing up, you know, pricing, you'd be having a few beers with other punters and everybody would be pricing everything up and, and just speculating on scenarios and how would you price this up. I used to hate that game. It just wasn't my skill set at all because I'm unable to process in my own mind. You know, I've not got a framework of, to, to work with. I, you know, I'd need to open a spreadsheet to tell you what the price of something is. And that's kind of a little insight in the difference into the difference between thinking, you know, logical, rational think, thinking, depending on whether it's introverted or extroverted. So it, it, it's just about knowing how to look, working on ways to compensate for your weaknesses as well. Yeah, no, it seems like that self-evaluation is a critical part. I mean, we've talked a little bit about or a lot about applying it to the the football teams and managers and how they go about it. But also, I think certainly looking internally as well. And uh, like you said, that was a great quote. I think, you know, we are literally who we are. And uh, the Maya, the Myers-Briggs type indicator is a, is a guide, I think, rather than a solidified grouping. And I think from there, we need to uh, really figure out <laughs> what areas we want to focus on and, and what we what we can't. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's certainly the way I see it. And the way I, I feel like I've just got a lot more clarity now from understanding this. And it's just nice to have, a really, a really clear, crystal clear idea of where I'm going and what I should be focusing on and what I should be outsourcing and creating scrapers for and things like that. Uh, that that's been a big breakthrough, I think, over the past 12 months from a punting perspective, definitely. So talking a couple more general questions, I want to ask about betting on English football and certainly lower leagues in terms of just applying your skill set to, a, I guess, more of a niche area rather than betting on football across the entire globe for example take us through why you've honed in on a specific area and you haven't expanded into every other football league all around the world for example yeah i have doubled in other leagues when the ratings were were, were you know um when i felt like i had an edge with the ratings i was trying to i was trying to roll it out into all different countries and betting in brazil and america and you know in in, in all sorts of different countries um but generally the more the more I rely on the art and intuition side of things, the more I have to go deep into a subject and being able to, you know, I've got a background of 20 years of knowledge of, you know, an understanding of different managers and things like that. And it feels like I've gone through a period with the ratings where I've probably spread myself a bit too thin in that it didn't play to my strengths in that I like to go deep on subjects and I haven't got that speed of insight. Um, and, the, you know, I feel like I've benefited. I like the rating system that I have. I dropped the four major European leagues midway through this season in order to con- to go deeper and deeper on the, on the intuition side uh, in the English leagues. And it's just, I feel like I'm throwing away sort of experience if I spread myself too thin and, and, and branch out too much. Whereas somebody who, who leads with extroverted intuition, for example, will just happily, you know, I've only ever bet on football, but someone who leads with extroverted intuition, if they think that the edge is dying out of a particular sport, I would imagine would quickly drop that sport and move on to another sport if they see bigger and better opportunities elsewhere. I think the, the quicker and easier to move on and won't, won't lose a night's sleep about, you know, what they've en- the enjoyment it's given them in the past. They'll just move on to the next thing. And I think that's... That ability to evolve is 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 crucial to be to be a professional and to be you know 
is is not be attached to one particular sport, one particular style of betting. It's just always, you know, the 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 mind of extroverted intuition is wired to go pushing things to breaking points, trying to find new connections and trying to, um, you know, just explore as they are, basically. They go exploring, you know, um, looking for where opportunities might be. It's just, it's just a flow state. It's just a mindset for them that, that if you haven't got extroverted intuition as your learning process, then you can't really try to replicate it. You know, it's just, they're just, it's like a dog following a trail for, for people who lead with that function is to go, is to be constantly on the probe for, for, for opportunities, you know, and, and not, not be married to a single sport or a single league or, or whatever it might be. So what advice would you have for a, let's say a semi-professional sports better or even a professional punter who, who listens to this and goes and gets your ebook what's the best application for those types of people in the short term and long term, especially if they haven't had much exposure to this type of thinking and application of these ideas? Well, there's a, there's a great resource. It's the Personality Hacker podcast. That's a fantastic resource. I will put, I'll put a link up actually on my site um, to them for, for people who want to take the test. I've had a few people asking me about where, where's the best place to take a test. Uh, for me, that's where I've done my training. They're, they're, they're the guys that have been, you know, uh, have kind of led my education in this, that deal with things on a real cognitive function level. Now, with that podcast, if you go right back to the very beginning, they, they do a lot of other kind of personal development podcasts. But right back at the beginning, they profiled all the different functions, all the different types. And, you know, it's even come on a level since then, the material they've done more recently. Um so just say it's it's not about your four-letter code. It's not about your four-letter type. It's about what the stack of functions. And I will be doing work to explain um, how those functions interact with each other, where they fall on your stack depending on your type and how to use them. I've done an email recently on the car model, which will be, you know, is part of the ebook um, that explains how that stack works and how to work on yourself for personal development purposes i read through the uh the car model uh example and yeah it's fascinating i mean i'd probably have to read it three or four times before i fully grasp some of the the concepts and ideas in there but it, it did make a lot of sense after spending you know half an hour 40 minutes thinking through that and even just not from a sports betting perspective just from a general life perspective having having that in your arsenal at least to be aware of it and that's how how things can and and, and do work in many respects and just having the ability to if you can't control it necessarily, but just quelling it in, in some respects? Basically, you know, you've got two main functions. That's the main thing to understand. You've got a way of learning and a way of making decisions. And once you understand what those ways are and begin to see the opposites and notice when you're, you know, any particular behavior or habit that you might have that, you've, you know, you begin to see that it's not necessarily playing to your strengths. It's just just awareness is the first step is, you know, to, to, to be aware of, of when you're not necessarily operating at your best and, and honoring those functions. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, I want to just direct the readers. I know you mentioned a bit before about the uh, the podcast you, you referenced. What about to contact you? I know they can go to the website and, and hopefully get the ebook. Uh, what about Twitter or is there any other best way to email you or get in touch? Yeah, well, it's the, the, the Fox Punter Twitter account at, uh, at Fox Punter. Uh, my own personal Twitter is at ratings underscore Mike. 
Perfect. Mike, thank you very much for coming on. It's uh it's great to talk to people who do have, you know, curiosity at the forefront of what they're doing and then learning new things and then sharing them with the world. So I do appreciate your time and, and I learn a lot today. Great. No, pleasure to be on. Thanks, Jake.